This is in preparation, as Shane said, for, for two weeks' time where we're going to have a different type of um, storytelling session. But I'll, give you, I'll tell you more about that at the end. Um, so with apologies to the people that were there last weekend, I'm going to do a little recap of my introduction to that storytelling session so that those that weren't there have a context for the stories that we're going to be hearing. Um, and the context that I gave w was based on a TED talk that I listened to. Anyone that talks to me regularly knows that most of my conversations start with, I was listening to a podcast the other day. So I was listening to a TED talk the other day, um, but it's actually the TED Radio Hour um, on stories. And there was one particular section uh, about a Nigerian novelist called Chimamanda Adichie. And uh, her, her talk was entitled The Dangers of a Single Story. And I basically um, told people about her story, which was that at 19 she left Nigeria and went to the States to go to college. And um, her roommate, when she got there, was quite shocked that she was able to speak English. Um, was also shocked that she knew how to use a stove and a knife and fork um, and asked to hear uh, some examples of her tribal music and was shocked when she got out a Mariah Carey CD. Um, but it was, it was her first experience of what she came to experience with almost all of the Americans that she met and that was that they had a single story of Africa, a single story of what Africa was and what Africa meant. And that story was a version of the same single story that, America, uh, that Africa was a place of beautiful landscapes and beautiful animals, full of incomprehensible people, um, fighting wars, dying of hunger and AIDS, and not being able to speak for themselves, waiting for a kind white man to come and save them. And this experience led her to the, the realisation or the belief that it is incredibly dangerous to have a single story about any place or anything um, because nothing is that simple. And that having a single story about any place or anything is the characteristic of and the habit of kind of naive or willful ignorance. And it's the kind of ignorance that is necessary to justify violence, to justify oppression, to justify dispossession. And it, it led me uh, to think about what we're doing in this place um, and the fact that um, we seek to have shaping stories for our community, not a single story of what our community means. Uh, and it made me realise, I guess, that that's a good thing. It's a really good thing for us to conceive of ourselves of a place with as many stories as there are people rather than a single story that we are seeking all to mould ourselves to. And it also relates uh, to what we've been doing in the last few weeks and what we're going to be doing over the next month or so, and that is talking about, as Shane said, talking about what it means for Jesus to be at the centre and it would be easy for that to become a single story, a single explanation of what that means that we then all seek to 
adhere to, seek to mould ourselves and conform ourselves to. Um, but I actually think, uh, and we talked about this last week, I think that there are as many stories of what it means for Jesus to be at the centre as there are people in this community. Um, and so it means that it's incredibly important for us to be willing to, to tell each other our stories, our stories of what it currently means for Jesus to be at the centre. Um, even if, as was the case for some of us, it doesn't really feel like Jesus is this, at the centre at all. In fact, I think it's particularly important for us to tell our stories if we feel like they don't represent the centre, if, they, if we feel like they are outlying stories, because often all of us feel like that. We often all feel like our story is the exception the place that Jesus has in our lives at the moment is the exception. And it's when we hear other people's stories that we realise that that's not the case. Yeah. So that was my introduction um, by, as a way of, I guess, inviting people that were there last week to talk briefly about um, what it meant for them at this point in their lives for Jesus to be at the centre or to talk about events, uh, people experiences that had profoundly shaped their sense of what it meant for Jesus to be at the centre. And uh, we have asked, we've kind of primed a few people uh, to share from last week, but uh, anyone that was there last week and shared a story, if, the, if they would like to now, just to kind of give people a sense of what the discussion was, that would be fantastic. And even if you told your story last week and this week it's different, that's fine too. So I'm just going to hand over to you, anyone that would, from last week that would like to briefly share their story of what it is for them for Jesus to be at the centre at the moment. Oh, we have a volunteer. As Shane says, our community specialises in awkward. Thanks, Kat. Um, I personally find that idea of Jesus being at the centre very uncomfortable um, because, like, I, I just I feel like anything that you can sum up in a catchphrase, usually you, we just go, Jesus at the centre, sweet. That's done, and don't take any time to do this and unpack what it is. Um, so for me, like to have Jesus at the center is like I don't even really think about those words, but I think about being kind to my friends and family and being intentional with the way that I love others. Um, and it's sort of almost more through having people at the center and having you know, um, good relationships with other human beings at the centre and thinking about that and trying to approach that um, with, yeah, with good intentions, um, that makes me go, oh, yeah, these things are like Jesus. I guess he's at the centre. That's nice. I, I'll get back to doing the actual work of, like, loving people and being there for people and all that sort of stuff. Because um, I think if I 
swung too much in the other direction of being like Jesus at the center, Jesus at the center. I just shut myself in my room and wouldn't actually engage with life, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> Rod. I wasn't here last week, but I thought I'd tell you about the story I read in a, a book that I'm currently reading. Uh, I'm very interested in different forms of language other than the spoken. And in this book, the uh, it's a person, I think you pronounce it Rachel Naomi Raymond, is writing the book. Um, she's a medical practitioner and a, a sufferer of Crohn's um, all her life. And she tells a story about herself as a a young student volunteering at a retirement village. And she got the job to just sit with a woman who hasn't spoken for a year, very old, um, elderly person, probably, I think, 96, if I remember correctly. And Naomi just sat with her, um, very uh, timid a personality Naomi describes herself as, and she just sat and sat for a lengthy time. And uh, she had the uh, brief to maybe uh, string glass beads together with the old woman. Um, But nothing happened. The person didn't want to participate, so Naomi just sat and waited and waited. And as we all are, we feel a little bit uncomfortable with silence, and eventually Naomi thought, okay, I'll... Maybe just touch her and ask her what she's looking at because she's staring out of the window all the time. And on her way out, the young student just touched the elderly woman and said, "Um, I'm going now. May I ask what you're looking at? And the woman replied, the light child. I'm looking at the light. And so I thought that was so beautiful. Thanks, Marianne. I'm not leaving, don't worry. Um, For decades, I thought I had Christ at the centre, but actually it was me at the centre, and... Um, I think for me the journey of putting Christ to the centre has been undoing the sense of exceptionalism about myself. Yep. Thanks, Anthony. Um, it's interesting, the times when I thought that I had Christ at the centre were probably the times when I was most <laughs> not having Christ at the centre because I was focused on works in terms of like what I was doing in ministry. <laughs> and, and so thinking about um, what Kat was saying about the porches, because I also take photos of porches. <laughs> and yeah, and I, I'm fascinated with... Um, seeing Christ in the moment and in the everyday 
situations that you're in and being in the poetry scene and amongst a whole lot of characters and just seeing the, the humanity of it and then seeing kind of like how Christ fits into those situations. Yeah. Thanks, Anna. Another renegade. goodness, someone that was actually there. Alan. I um, grew up in a Pentecostal church and so I had a very Pentecostal view of Christ being at the centre early on, which basically sort of seemed to be your spiritual life or in inverted commas or your um, Christianity was the most important thing and everything else in your life had to fit around that. So your job had to fit around that, your school had to fit around that, um, your friendships had to fit around that. And I always really struggled with that because it always did seem very much like, a, as Shane talked about a couple of weeks ago, having to climb the ladder and just keep on doing and doing and doing. Until um, I saw a presentation called Everything is Spiritual, which just really opened my eyes to the way that you can't have, you, you really can't actually separate the spiritual part of your life and Christ from your life from everything else because Christ is in everything. You know, Through him, God created everything and so all of a sudden I went, well, I don't have to try and go, okay, first church, then this, then this, then this. So I went, but everything in my life, Christ is in it. He is at the centre. And and so instead of me trying to strive for Christ to be at the centre, it was almost just a, a, a time to just realise that Christ is the centre. Wherever I look, I can't escape him. Um, whatever I do, wherever I go, he is at the centre of it. And it all of a sudden became less about trying to strive for him to be at the centre, just recognising that he is at the centre. And all of a sudden I felt like, wow, I can actually do that. That's achievable. Thanks, Alan. Have you had your hand up for hours? Sorry. Okay. Well, I don't know if there's something wrong with my brain, but I really struggle with ideas like this because it's a spatial metaphor and what's the space in which Christ is supposed to be at the center? <laughs> what are we actually talking about? Um, I, I find this a lot with Christianese. Um, can we, yeah. So I was thinking about this and thinking, well, what is the center? It's not the periphery. It's the core. So if Christ is at the center of Something? Are we talking about the universe? Are we talking about Christianity? Are we talking about our individual lives? Then you can't understand the rest of it without relation to that centre. He's like the core subject. I guess that's kind of the idea. Um, and in my experience, I, at the moment, I'm finding that important in that there are a lot of other aspects of faith or theology or ideas about the Bible, life, whatever, that are always shifting and they crack and dissolve and resolve and reform in different patterns. And it doesn't really stay still for me, but one thing I can come back to is that when I look at the Jesus revealed in the Gospels, I see something beautiful. I see the best of humanity. And if God's like that, then I probably still want to keep trying to discover God. Yeah. Um, I, I think back to a time when Jesus dramatically changed for me. I think 
I had a very mechanistic view of God um, or a mathematical view of God or a formulaic view of God that if if you did this, this, and this, then this would happen. Um, if you accept Jesus into your life, then everything will be transformed overnight. Um, if you ask Jesus to forgive you, then suddenly the results of sin won't be so real. And I remember a time when I was working with a bunch of young people who lived very much on the margins of society and <laughs> trying trying to tell them um, about Jesus saving them from their sin. And then, which in no way am I kind of diminishing but I remember sitting in a house, um, an abandoned house, which some of these kids had run away from the situation at home to find solace together there. And I remember thinking about how much I could, how I, how I could only think of them as being on um, the receiving end of sin more than I could think about the sin that they committed and how the magic formulas that I have <laughs> just didn't, just didn't make sense in that context and I had to let go of the formulaic Jesus to find the mysterious one um, who popped up in surprising places and for me I think my having Jesus at the centre has kind of been an experience of lost and found, lost and found where I lose the Jesus that I have and find him in new and surprising ways and have to be prepared for the seasons of my life where I don't know who Jesus is and trust that he will find a way of making himself real again. Thanks, Jew. I think I spoke just after Amy on camp and, and my... What I've been scrolling down now seemed like a more disoriented version of what she wrote again. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I've just been thinking about, um, you know, I've got written down here, like, what does my idea of Jesus even mean to start with? I feel like it just the terms in the, in the phrase at the moment just don't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I think of, like, you know, that he was a real person, this capital R, capital P person that lived... Um, maybe your personal experience of what you might have felt, um, you know, an idea, a philosophy. So I've got all these kind of discrete data points of what Jesus might look like if you did a big um, mind map of him. And then, you know, I think of, okay, what does center mean? Like churches talk about lordship and giving your whole life over to him. So I think of like the social aspects of life and, the cultural experience and religious um, history, perhaps, and and you know, deeply emotional core. So all these different aspects of life and Jesus, but it ends up just for me at the moment being this bunch of ideas. And I say, okay, so I have this these ideas of Jesus, some of which seem to appeal to me, some of which I have history with, but don't know what I think of anymore. And trying to sift through all that. And then center and whatever that means, like Amy was saying about maybe not the periphery and the things that affect your life. 
Um, and yeah, I guess it, it, it really just feels like this sifting process of trying to actually, I was just, an image that I just came up with was like um, an archaeologist with this chunk of rock and trying to chip away all the, the bits that aren't useful or sort of the periphery to find the, the fossil in the center and thinking, well, you know, am I just going to keep chipping away and then discover that I've just got a pile of dust and there, there were no bones there to begin with? Um, like, did I choose the wrong chunk of rock or who knows? <laughs> um, so I feel like depending on what your stance or, or experience with Jesus is at the time um, of your life, then that really affects your ability to even understand what putting that at the center would mean. Thanks, Stu. Well, thanks everyone that shared. Um, I guess it gives you a, a bit of a sense of the conversation that we had last weekend, uh, but also that, that that discussion then led to, I think, a hundred other conversations that people had over the weekend, I guess, sifting through those conversations and those images um, and it's a I guess it's a conversation that we want to keep having over the next month or so um, to keep bringing our current sense of Jesus at the center what it means what it doesn't mean and seeking to um, inspire each other and connect with each other through that because I guess in the in the end so much of it is not as we've just about the right answer, but about the way that we process things together is almost the most Christ-like thing. Um, so just briefly, I want to tell you about two weeks' time. So we're going to do a version of this, but not as um, not using spoken language, but we're going to use Play-Doh. So the idea in two weeks is that um, everyone will get a little ball of Play-Doh or perhaps clay. We haven't really worked that out yet. But um, you will use that to sculpt your response, however sophisticated or infantile that sculpture might be. There's no performance pressure. Um, sculpt a response to the series so far. You know, we're ha- it's, it's half, half time and... Uh, it's a chance for us to respond to what we've done so far. Um, so that might be sculpting a, your idea of Jesus at the centre, or it might just be your response to a particular verse in Colossians, you know, the first two chapters, something that has really leapt out at you um, that you want to respond to. So basically it will be a chance to sculpt a response and we'll also have little um, index cards that you can write down some thoughts about your sculpture, and then it'll be an exhibition. Um, so you have, have your little sculpture on a table, and we'll wander around and look at each other's sculptures, and um, it'll be up to you whether you share what you've written or not. So if you have it face up, people can read it. If you have it face down, people won't. Um, so it'll be whatever you're comfortable with, and a chance... Uh, in a different kind of way, to encounter each other's stories and each other's 
responses to the series so far. Uh, and if it goes well, we'll do another one at the end of the series to see if our sculptures are, have evolved or not. Um, so a, as part of that, uh, if we do the Play-Doh, I was looking for volunteers to make Play-Doh. Oh, we have a volunteer over there. I see your hand. I see your hand. Uh, yes, thank you. That's three. Oh, yep, four. I'll do some, five. So I reckon a, um, a two-liter ice cream container of Play-Doh would do it. If we've got five of those, I reckon we'll do it. And in the spirit, in the spirit of unity and difference, we're all going to make Play-Doh, but you can choose the color that you make your Play-Doh. So thank you. Thanks for the volunteers. Um, my neighbor, Andrea makes amazing Play-Doh, so I'm going to try to get her recipe. Julie, yeah, okay, Julie's pointing to herself. She's the Play-Doh queen. Um, so you can talk to Julie about her recipe. I'll talk to Andrea. We'll have a Play-Doh off. Um, and we could do it like a taste test, perhaps, next week. It's like Pepsi and Coke. Um, yeah, so that's what we'll do in two weeks' time. Next week will be frosty, and then, so in two weeks' time. So if you're terrified of Play-Doh, just don't come in two weeks' time. But it's not that scary, and it's quite tasty with the amount of salt in it. Just seeing if there's anything else that I need to tell you about it. Play-Doh thing. Sorry? Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. There will be prayer over there at the end. Um, and, uh, yeah, bring, bring Colossians on your phones as well if you want to kind of look at, uh, try to find a verse that you want to respond to. But we're trying to reduce the amount of paper. So if you can bring your phone with Colossians on it. I know you normally leave your phone at home so it won't distract you. But um, just, just this once, maybe bring your phone. I'm going to finish with uh, a benediction from this small laminated page of Celtic Daily Prayer. Um, about uh, 16, 17 years ago, I went to Canada, to Vancouver, to do a summer school at a theological college called Regent College there. And one of the, the courses that I took was on particularity. Uh, and this was a massively transformative experience for me of realising, really connecting with the fact that God made each of us to be unique and that that wasn't an accident, that God actually sees our uniqueness, doesn't see us as uniform, but sees us as very, very particular, and that I didn't need to be embarrassed about the way that I had been made, um, but that God loved that particularity. And I stayed, when I was in uh, at... Regent College, I stayed for a month with this couple called Matt and Julie who um, were just incredible people and the, the kind of people that when you were in their presence, you felt beautiful and you felt fascinating and you felt like your uniqueness, your particularity was utterly compelling. And it was, um, it was them that gave me this little laminated sheet of Celtic Daily Prayer, which I've kept with me for about 15 years now. And whenever I see it, I think of them. And I think of the way they saw me 
And I thought of the experience of being seen by them. Uh, And I guess my prayer, I'll pray this blessing. But before I pray the blessing, my prayer for, for this community is that we are a community that more and more learns to see each other in our uniqueness and our particularity. A community where we feel beautiful when we're here because of the way that we're seen, because of the way that people listen to us and because of the way we are appreciated for the, for the beauty and the uniqueness of how God has made us. So let me finish with this blessing from Celtic Morning Prayer. You probably know it. It's a good one. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen.